Well, amen. It's great to be together. Um, it's great to be able to uh, worship on a beautiful Sunday morning. I know we've got two beautiful Sunday mornings in a row. Um, why don't we just start with a word of prayer before we jump into uh, this awesome book, Romans. We're going to do two chapters today, Romans 10 and 11. They're super easy chapters to understand. Some of the easiest chapters in all the Bible. Just kidding. Um, they are a little bit deep, and we're going to jump into the deep end today, which will be great. I hope you're ready to jump in, take some notes, uh, open your Bibles, contemplate the will of God. Uh, but before we jump in, I just want to encourage us, church. Um, first of all, if we can go after being on time to church. And I know that there's small ones and there's a lot going on on a Sunday morning. And I know that um, we are striving to make our services excellent for God and make them in such a way where we start on time. But when we start on time and there's not a lot of people in you know, the audience like there are right now, it can feel... Now, I try to just close my eyes and focus on God, amen? But we want to hear a holy noise from all of you. So we're going to go after really doing that as a, as, a, as a congregation together. I know that timeliness is not my natural strength, but I'm working on it myself, and I'm striving to be excellent. I know, you know, for me, as I think about a, a job or anything, we want to show up on time for that, right? How much more the Almighty King, amen? And to make our services amazing, I think... What it's going to help our whole group for all of us to get here a little early in fellowship. Me and Manny got here at nine fifteen. We're hanging out. Manny's so excited. He's like, "Can we come to church early every single Sunday?" And it was helpful for him. He's not as wound up even. He's a little bit more calmer. And I'm thinking maybe that's how everyone feels as we come to church a little earlier. Um, maybe we'll feel a little bit more connected to God. We can have a little time and you can always take a prayer walk around or fellowship or get deep. There's lots of rooms where you can spend some time, uh, you know, just kind of getting prepared for worship. Amen. So let's uh, jump in and uh, we'll say a prayer. Great God in heaven. I'm so thankful for this family that we are a part of God. It's just an awesome, awesome family here in Portland. God, I know much like Prague, it started with small beginnings, God, and you have just built up the kingdom in amazing ways here, God, starting with nine people and really just fitting in my living room. And now, God, there's no way we can fit in the living room, God. There's no way we can fit uh, with the church here. And you've built it up, and we're grateful for how you have sent out the harvest workers, how you have moved each heart here to love you and worship you, God. We're grateful for all the spiritual births that we've had, God, over these years. And we're grateful, Father, for all the physical births we've had, God. And just to see all the, the ways you're growing our number, Lord. We ask you, God, for this summer to be an amazing summer for us spiritually, Lord. Amen. That we could grow closer to you, God. Father, that we can make decisions, some of us, God, to be baptized, God, and to knock down the wall of sin in our life, God. I know you desperately want a relationship with us and you've been longing for it, God. For many of us, God, just getting deeper in your word, deeper in prayer. God, becoming less so that you can become more in our life, God. We ask you, Lord, to just bless this message. Pray that it can be from your Holy Spirit and that you would use me as a conduit for that, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, 
It's great to be together. I know there's, uh, we've had some preachers come our way. We had Trevor preach the word last Sunday. And uh, wow, he did an amazing job. I listened to it. I was amazed at, one thing about Trevor is nothing that comes out of his mouth is meaningless. He just preaches it and speaks it. And he does it in a very succinct way. Um, He's got a very interesting way of speaking. We're very different speakers. But I think what he was able to do with Romans 9 was something special. And I wrote down the quote that really stirred my heart up from Charles Spurgeon about love, love for souls. And in Romans 9, of course, Paul says, I wish I could be be accursed if it only be for my fellow Israelites to be saved. That's so intense, that kind of love. Basically, he was saying, I would rather be separated from God forever than and and have my my brother Israelites come in to the faith. Amen. You know, and I'm just like, wow, that's the kind of love that I desire. Amen. Um, That's a hard one. Can can I say that I'm there? I just want to confess I'm not. I don't want to be a curse. I want to be with God. Now, God would probably say back to Paul, hey, I love you too much and I, to, to have that happen. Yeah. I can't let that happen. I think maybe Paul was speaking in a way that was just emotional in some ways in Romans 9. And, and, and Charles Spurgeon says the same thing. He says, get love for the souls of men. Then you will not be whining about a dead dog or a sick cat. Although we do feel sad for them. Or about the crotches of a family or a little disturbances that John and Mary may make by their idle talk. Get your soul full of a great grief and your little griefs will be driven out. We have a saying, first world problems. But more importantly, it's, it's kind of saying, hey, these are worldly problems. We have to think about souls, you know, and the burden that, that we have for them. Amen. And it just convicted me that I want to have love like that for souls, the way, the way Paul did. And Paul had great love for souls. And I think that in Romans 9, he was speaking about the anguish of what was going on. He was speaking about the anguish he had in his heart for the Israelites, God's chosen people who had rejected Christ. And in Romans 10 and 11, I believe, he is really talking about why they fell, why they rejected Christ. And so in many ways, I, I, I've, I've just kind of called this the diagnosis and the cure. Romans 10 is the diagnosis. Romans 11 is the cure. Amen. We don't want a, you know, a, 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 a diagnosis without a cure. Amen. We don't want, hey, you have this disease and you're like, oh, great. What do I do? Sorry, I can't do anything for you. You know, we need to pray for our, if we can keep Isaiah's soul in our prayers. Um, I've asked him if we can pray for him and, and just praying for him because he suffers from insomnia. And it's been challenging for him to get up and come to church. It's been challenging for him to be a part of the fellowship. We met with him and Ken. We talked about it. He was, I said, when was the last time you got six hours of sleep? He said a year ago. Before that, and that was the best sleep I've ever had in seven years. And I said, what do the doctors say? What can the doctors do? And the doctors, one doctor said to me, you really have some bad luck, man. And that's what he said back. And I said, what? And, you know, Ken and I are trying to fix the problem already. Maybe we'll read a book. Maybe we'll talk about it. But 
in some ways, it's so sad when there's no cure for a diagnosis. So we need to be praying for our brother, Isaiah Soul, who is striving to be a disciple, even though he has insomnia. I said, how, many, how much, you know, you, he met me today, met me the, uh, that, this last week, and I said, how much sleep did you get this uh, last night? He said, I don't know, I think about an hour and a half. It's almost like, um, you know, a dreariness. Sleep is not something I look forward to. And I'm like, wow, what that would feel like to be him, amen? amen. But to, let's keep him in our prayers. Amen. God does grant sleep to those he loves, and I believe that God loves Isaiah. And so let's be praying for him. But we're grateful that most doctors don't say you got bad luck. You know, Israel, I'm sorry you're lost. You rejected Christ. You stumbled over the stumbling stone. Sorry you got bad luck. That's not what Paul says. I think Paul really helps us and encourages us with the fact that there is a plan that God has for the Israelites. And I believe there's a plan for all those that reject Christ. Amen. And so in some ways, this is about the Jew and Gentile issue. Why are there more Gentiles coming into the church now than there are Jews if the Jews are God's chosen people? Now, we know there's more Gentiles than Jews, and so essentially that would happen in essence. But why, in some ways, it seems like the Israelites, most of them are not coming to Christ. And that was the challenge that they felt. Why was this going on? And Israelites that were Christians were struggling. What What's up? God's called us his special possessions. And now, why aren't people coming to Christ? And what Paul eloquently does in a masterful Holy Spirit way is he gives us a diagnosis for lostness and a cure for lostness. Amen? And I believe this is really not just for the Israelites, but the, the diagnosis of why... You ever ask yourself, why don't people come to Christ. You ever ask yourself that question? What made me come to Christ? It's a mystery in some ways. You know, I think about, you ever think about people that even are morally better than you? That don't feel the need to come to Christ? When you, who feel like, I've messed up so much in my lifetime, and yet I have come to Christ. Why is that? Family members or friends that you know, that you deeply love, that maybe you would feel the same way, you know, that, that Paul felt. I wish that I could be accursed. You know, I felt that way about my dad. My dad, I remember praying to God, God, it doesn't feel right that I'd be in heaven without my dad. He deserves to go more than, I, more than me. I know both of us don't deserve it, but if, so, if someone deserved it more, it would be my dad. And God somehow amazingly answered the prayer and he became a disciple. But it's not always like that. And I know many people that have not made it. And it's challenging. And and I I don't think at the end of this message you're going to know all the mysteries of the heart. But I'm hoping that today you get a little bit more insight from our dear brother Paul and the Holy Spirit on why people don't come to Christ. And then the cure behind that. Amen? In many ways, it's always going to be a mystery. But maybe we can understand the mystery a little bit better today. Amen? I love this. This little kid says it all. To be honest, if we understood this sign, we could go home right now. If the world understood this sign, we wouldn't have to have church anymore. Life is short. Death is sure. Sin the cause. 
Christ the cure. It's a cute kid too, right? Jesus saves. It's a good sign too. I started thinking about marketing. I'm like, that's a good sign. You can read it quick and it's powerful and it's true, isn't it? Life is short. Death is short. We're all going to die. You know, what's the problem? What's the, the cause? Sin is the cause for death. Sometimes I forget that, church, that sin is the cause of death. And then last but not least, Christ is the cure to all that. Amen? To life being short. Christ cures that one, isn't he? Eternal life. Death being short. Not really. Death, the only thing sure about death, it's going to die. Not me. And then sin the cause. Well, God takes away our sins at baptism. Amen? Forever and ever. So let's jump into Romans chapter 10. We're going to read this passage together, and I hope that you'll be encouraged by this, these two chapters in the Bible. Verse 1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the, righteous that, the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. Then it, that is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your mouth that you believe and are justified. And it is with your, it is with your heart that you believe and justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one who they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voices, their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you envious about those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that is, has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I have revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Boy, oh boy, this is deep, isn't it? 
And I think for us, it's just breaking this passage down. What is Paul talking about here? What is he saying? What is he actually saying? And, and I think he's really speaking about the fact that sin is ultimately the problem of both Jew and Gentile. We've already established that, right? In, Rome, in Romans 1, really through uh, 3, he, he establishes, right, very clearly that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen? And so sin is the problem. Sin brings death. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul begins saying, my heart's prayer and and desire is for the Israelites that they may be saved. So what does that mean about the Israelites? They're lost. God's people are lost. And just imagine being in that time period where you're God's people and then someone dies on the cross and then you're not God's people. What that would feel like. Imagine being those people. What that would feel like. Wait, we missed something? What did we miss? Well, this carpenter guy, he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. What? We thought the Messiah was going to be a triumphant king who was going to take back Israel, take back Jerusalem, take back the land. We thought it was going to be even greater than David in the line of David, just like that happened. No, no, no. That, this Jesus came to build a spiritual kingdom. What? And some Jews accepted and some Jews didn't. Most Jews did it. And that's what's challenging about this for the Israelites. And this is what Paul feels. Paul was struggling with that, amen? He was so much struggling that he was going after the Christians to persecute them. You're speaking to a man who was lost just like these Israelites. And what does he say about the Israelites? He says, I testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Boy, oh boy, that scripture is deep, huh? Proverbs 19.2. It is not good to have desire without knowledge and to be hasty and miss the way. Wow, what a scripture. That one scripture defines what the problem of the Israelites were. They had great zeal for God. I mean, are you talking about zeal right here? You got Paul hunting Christians down. To stop them from idol worshiping, you know, and, and believing in many gods. That's how he was thinking. They were preaching. He was going after them. Talk about zeal in the Maccabean times. People would get tortured because they didn't want to eat a piece of pork. Now, I love pork. Amen. But are you serious that you would get killed because of following the law. God said, do not eat this pork. And these amazing, righteous souls who lived by faith back then, they too accepted the gospel message, amen? But their cross was a little more challenging to bear. One woman named Hannah lost all seven of her sons because they would not eat a piece of pork. One old man was so tortured They felt so sorry for him. They said, listen, I'm giving you, this is not pork. This is just beef. Pretend that you're eating pork and eat it. And God will know it's not pork. And he said, no way. Kill me. 
Because they believe in a better resurrection. These were the Jews that, that Paul was talking about. These were the people. These were, that, this was the zeal they had. It's convicting their zeal, isn't it? And yet they thought they're going to receive an amazing resurrection. It's not good to have zeal without knowledge. You know, religious people, there's a danger between being too religious. Feeling good about your zeal too much. And you miss stuff when you do that. You get blind when you do that. We have to remember to be, remember that we are only here because Christ is the fulfillment of the law. We can't seek our own righteousness, church. Just like the Israelites, you know, that's the danger. That's the little disease that comes into us religious people. We start thinking we're really good. We start thinking we're really got our acts together, don't we? We really think, well, man, I'm so happy that I'm not a heathen like that person over there. And that's what was going on To 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 the Israelites. The Gentiles were these just heathenistic people. Some Jews believed there were firewood for hell. Obviously, they didn't have the heart of Christ in their hearts. But they thought that. And when you think about the people that were killing the people in the Maccabean times, it's not hard to believe that they would want God to take revenge. Amen? But in essence, these were the Jews that, that Paul was talking about. And so for us all, we have to remember the diagnosis. Trying to be good enough to go to heaven is a recipe for lostness. Why don't people want Jesus? Because they think they're good enough without him. It comes down to that, church. Whether you're talking about the Israelite, or you're talking about the businessman, whether you're talking about the activist, whoever you're talking about, people think they're good enough to go to heaven. If you ask people in the street, are you going to heaven? Most people believe it. I've never met people that go, no, I'm not going to heaven. Not many people say that. Most people say what? I think I'm going to heaven. Why? Why do you think that? Well, because I think I've striven, that's what they say, to be good enough. And the convicting thing about that is that that's the diagnosis for lostness. Trying to be good enough to go to heaven. What's it say? Verse 3. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. God is holy. Why would we think as a people? It's a sickness. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a symptom of the ultimate disease, sin. Amen? That we would think in this town that we're good because we recycle. Because we, we pick up something on, on, on the side of the road that's trash. Because we opened a door for someone. We think we're righteous. Your friends, your family members, they think they're righteous. And the truth is, they are lost. They have the wall of sin knocked out. And the only way that people come to Christ is if they submit to the righteousness of God. And see their sin. You know, it's interesting whether you're atheistic or whether you're um, very religious in the deep south. This is the ultimate diagnosis. This is the ultimate problem why people don't come to Christ. And this is the ultimate problem that will happen if we miss Christ or walk away from Christ. You forget that you were cleansed. Amen? 
And so this is a warning to all of us, not just the Jews. Oh, the Jews, they thought they were so righteous. They followed the law perfectly. We all have a law, amen? Especially in this city, we all have a law. And, you know, people put it up on their, 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 there was a person who has a big, you know, kind of, it's, it's like a billboard and it has the different colors of the rainbow and it goes through every belief they have. You've seen that before, right? Where's Christ? And this is what makes them good. Everyone has that. Maybe they don't put it in the billboard, but everyone has that in their heart. And the truth is, who's the judge, church? God is. Yet we play judge. And this is the problem. This is what happens to our friends and family. This is what happens to us. This is what happens to this world. People think they will establish their own righteousness. But we need to remember Christ is the end of the law. The culmination, the fulfillment. We're going to watch a quick video here. Hopefully you enjoy it. See if it works here. It's coming on. Here we go. Meet Mr. Nice Guy. You think you're nice? This guy is really nice. Well, I try to do what's right. He's so nice that if good people get to heaven, he'll be the first in line. Ah, shucks. So, Mr. Nice Guy, have you kept the Ten Commandments? Pretty much. Do you mind if we take a look at them and maybe see how nice you really are? Uh, okay. Great. Here's one. You shall not lie. Mr. Nice Guy, have you ever told a lie? Well, yeah. Who hasn't? What do you call somebody who tells lies? A liar. All right. How about another commandment? You shall not steal. Have you ever stolen anything even once? Nope. But you just told me you're a liar. Well, I did steal some candy when I was a kid. And what do you call someone who steals? A thief. All right, let's try another one. You shall not commit adultery. Oh, that's easy. I never cheat on my wife. Hi, handsome. Oh, baby. Jesus said, if you even look at a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. Oh, uh... Right. One more. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Have you ever used God's name to curse? Oh, my. That, Mr. Nice Guy, is called blasphemy. God gave you life and breath and everything you have, and you dragged his name through the dirt. So, by your own admission, you're a liar, a thief, a blasphemer, and an adulterer at heart. And that's just for the Ten Commandments. Okay, okay, so I'm not perfect. Well, actually, it's worse than that. Suppose we could put a chip in your brain that would record all your private thoughts for an entire week and then play those thoughts on a giant movie screen for all your friends and family to see. That would be embarrassing. Yeah, I know. The Bible says God knows everything, even the secret thoughts of your heart. Well... Compared to some people, I'm a saint. Yeah, that's true. But the standard is God's law, not other people. Besides, even if you sin just five times a day, in one year, 
That's 1,825 sins. And if you live to be 70 years old, you'll have broken God's law over 127,000 times. You'll have to answer for every sin on Judgment Day when the Bible says each of us will give an account of himself to God. But God will forgive me, right? Well, let's try that in court. Hey, look, I know I keep breaking the law, but it can't just, well, you know, just let it slide. Only a corrupt judge would buy that. A good judge would say, Justice demands that you pay for your crimes. God's not a corrupt judge. He's a holy, righteous judge. He hates sin. <laughs> Jesus warned that on Judgment Day, everyone who had sinned against God would justly end up in a terrible place called hell. And there will be no escape for all eternity. Well, then, how can anybody get to heaven? There's only one way. God loved the world so much that he sent his son Jesus to live a perfect life. He never sinned, not even once. Then, Jesus offered to take the punishment for guilty sinners. He was whipped and beaten and nailed to a cross and died so that justice would be served and sinners could go free. Then, Jesus rose from the grave and defeated death. You can't earn eternal life. It's God's gift to everyone who will humble themselves and come to Jesus. He'll forgive you, wash you clean, and give you a new heart with new desires. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So stop living for yourself. Turn from your sins and come to Jesus. Then read your Bible and obey it. Find a good church to help you grow. And then go out and tell other people the good news. There we go. You guys surprised I showed that video, huh? I'm telling you it's a silly video, but man, it's convicting. It's convicting. I think um, that's the problem, the diagnosis, right? For it was trying to be good enough to go to heaven. Um, I actually have um, two resources on the app that, that if you haven't downloaded, please download the app. But um, it has the sermon notes, but also has this video and uh, another great sermon on the doxology from John Piper, which I think would be really awesome for you to listen to. We'll get into that. But the notes are all on the app on, under sermon notes if you'd like to see it and the video as well. I think it's not bad to watch this video a couple times a year and just remind ourselves of, of where we stand before God. And I think, I think all of us need to remember that, yeah. you know, and to realize just the weight of our sin, but also the fact that Jesus is there and Jesus is the culmination of the law. Um, and so going on, Paul is speaking and he says, before this passage, he talks about how Christ is reachable for every person. He's not so high, right? He's not so low. He was on earth. He came to earth and he preached and he lived among us, amen, so that we may come to him. And one of the things he talks about here in the scripture is that anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there's no distance between Jew and Gentile. Um, that if we confess with our mouth, right, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, we'll be saved. You know, and this scripture is used often as a salvation passage. 
when in fact this was really speaking about the Jews. That if only they would believe and confess with their mouth, Jesus the Lord, which we say at baptism, and call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Where do we call on the name of the Lord? Let's go to Acts 22. Just real quick, Acts 22. Acts 22, verse 16. It's now, and it, it's speaking about actually Paul. Paul is getting preached to by Ananias. And it says, and now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. This is a helpful passage because a lot of people think, oh, that's a prayer. Right? Calling on his name is a prayer. And it is a prayer. But there's many ways to pray. Amen? And one of the ways we pray is in the waters of baptism. We pray, Lord, I trust in you. I'm going to die. Please resurrect me. Please forgive me of my sins. Amen? Amen. And so this passage is much, you know, often used to talk about salvation through a prayer. But nowhere in the Bible does it say to pray and you'll be saved. Alone, Although prayer is a part of, obviously, repentance. And he ends here in, 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 in this passage really speaking about the, the aspect of the heart and faith. And he says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And so to think about this passage and to realize that people need to hear the message or they won't believe. Later on, he says, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through Christ. So our challenge as disciples, amen, is to be sent out, to be those harvest workers. And our challenge is to teach people about Christ. But Paul says later, well, did they not hear And Paul denies that fact. He says, no, they have heard. The Israelites have absolutely heard, amen? How do we know that? Well, they had the scriptures this whole time. The message of Christ was in the Old Testament. The gospel was preached to them as well, the Bible says. And so in in verse, um, I believe it's in verse uh, 18, Paul quotes an amazing psalm. In, in chapter 19, that's, that speaks about God's word, that, that God speaks through his creation, amen? But in this verse, he kind of uses this to say, no, the voice has come out through all the earth, and many have heard Jesus, amen? Yeah. So, and even today, guys, oh, what if no one's heard the message? Well, in some ways, it's our job to preach the message, Amen? And to be sent out and to teach people about Christ. I was talking to someone who says, I've been to church three or four, you know, for three or four years. And I never opened the Bible and looked into it. Many people I've talked to say that. They need to see the message, amen? They need to hear the message. And our, our role is to open it up and encourage them to read it with us, amen? amen. But at the same time, there'll be no excuse for people. Oh, I never heard the message. I never got the message. Isn't the Bible among us now translated in many languages 
for all of us to hear. It's our role to be those conduits for God. But God's kind of saying, listen, my voice has gone out through all the earth. And so for all of us to be sober, that we need to speak to our brother, to our sister, to the people around us and say, we need Christ so desperately to be our righteousness. And if we do that, he will save us. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you guys with something, though, that even though the word, the Bible is in every language and it's on your phone, it's on your that, that God wants us to be a part of this process of preaching the gospel. Amen. Amen. And I want to ask you, you know, I, I'm humbled by the fact that this is so deep. I do need to break this up into two messages. Amen. Um, so we'll do Romans 11 tomorrow. I already have the sermon prepared, amen? But I, I do think that just for the sake of time, we're going to stop in Romans 10. I, I was very ambitious with this message, but the truth is it, it's, it's important that we understand Romans 10 before we move on. And the fact that the, what is the reason why people don't make it? It's because they think they need to be good enough. They try to establish their own righteousness. It's a deadly, deadly thing. Um, but for all of us, one of our roles is to share our conversion and our lives with people. You know, you think, wow, Paul was an amazing preacher. Wasn't he an amazing preacher? But what do you see in his life? Every time he's among someone, he shares his story. Amen? And we need to get good at sharing our story. Amen? And all of you have an amazing story to share. All of you have an amazing story. And in some ways, it's been cool. Maybe we'll do this in our family group. Is part of family group will be sharing your story of how you came to Christ in two minutes. You know, and, and, and can you share your story in two minutes? And, and obviously, you can share a little longer. But to be able to share your story with people, that's powerful. Amen? Amen. You know, and then you get into the gospel. The Bible says that you shared your lives as well as the gospel. And so what are we as harvest workers? We're here to share our story first with people and then connect them to how the gospel changed our lives. When was the last time you shared your story with a friend? Where you said, you know what? I tried to establish, you know, I thought I was a good guy or this was going on in my life or I was a real bad guy and I thought I would never find Christ and Christ found me. If you hear someone say back to you, that's so good for you. Then humbly say, I also think it's important for you. You know, and, and speak about this. Hey, would you like to watch a short video with me? <laughs> and show them that video. You know, it's one of those videos that's kind of fun. And, you know, Noah looked at me like, are we really showing this in church? You know, and, and, and at the same time, it's, it, it teaches the truth, doesn't it? In a funny, encouraging way. And so I want to encourage you to share your faith and to... To, to really commit yourself to sharing your story with someone this week. Amen. This week, share your story with someone. Instead of saying, hey, would you like to come to church? Can I, I go to this awesome church, but more importantly, can I, can I share what God's done in my life? Yeah. Most people will be like, sure. What has God done in your life? You know, because most people are like, nah, I don't want to hear anything about how God's work miraculously in your life because most people want 
miracles in their life. Amen? Most people are searching deep down in their heart. And so for you to do that, and to you, when you do that, you become a harvest worker. You become someone. Because the truth is, Jesus said something in Matthew 9. He said in verse 38, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are what? Few. This is not a problem with the harvest. The harvest is always plentiful. In Prague, the harvest is plentiful. You saw that. Didn't God just prove that to you? These guys went out. They, were, they didn't know the language. They didn't know anything. And they, they were able to get 18 people to hear God's word. And then more people, other people to study the Bible. It's incredible to think about that in an 85% atheist country. You know, this is one of the least, most least church populations in the nation. Second, Portland is the first. Guys, we are first. <laughs> the most post-Christian city in America. Yes. You go, what's that mean? Well, it means that 57% of our population in Portland are opposed to Christianity. He was first, shall be last. Yes. <laughs> Think about this for a second, though. What an opportunity. How are people who are opposed to Christ going to ever come to Christ? By you sharing your story. Because Christ is religion. Christ is judgment. Christ is all these things of people. But we need to speak about our lives. Amen? And so for all of us, there's a couple things that I, I'm, I'm praying about. And the first is, what did Jesus say? Ask the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And actually, other versions say pray to the Lord of the harvest. And so a a couple of the leaders have been praying. um, Every 9.38 a.m. and 9.38 p.m. I've set an alarm on my phone. And I ask the Lord, because it's Matthew 9.38. You get it, guys? To send out harvest workers into his harvest field. And I want to ask you if you are so bold to set an alarm on your phone. 9.38 a.m., 9.38 p.m. It's a minute prayer. It's a 30-second prayer. There's times I'm in movies, right? I pause the movie. And now my kids know, oh, it's time to pray for the harvest workers. <laughs> And it's cool. We stop. We pray for the harvest workers. And it is a pitily, just really sad prayer. I just want to say, I'm like, Lord, I pray that you send out workers into this harvest field. Please, God, make me a harvest worker. In Jesus' name, amen. That's one of my better prayers, guys. Okay? But I pray that. And you go, what are you doing? That's a crazy thing. I heard it from some other church leader. And I started doing it. And I started asking the people to do it. Literally. Almost every day, I get a call from someone. I'm just moving into to Portland. I'm studying the Bible from another church. Could you please study the Bible with me? Wow. My whole family's moving to Falmouth. We'd all like to come to church. Wow. Yeah, sounds great. I got a call from an, another brother who said, will you train me in the ministry? I, I don't know what that means, but I'd like to go to Nessim. And, 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 and I'd like to, to, to learn how to be in the ministry. Will you train me? I talked to some other brothers, and I'm fasting and praying about it as we speak. I got another call from IPI. Paul Vasquez, you know, the, he sent us, hey, there's a guy who, who, who left the church who wants to come back. 
Another call. So many calls. I could go on and on about what God is doing. Ever since I started praying, Lord, send out the workers into his harvest fields. And what encourages me the most is, yes, all those good news, but it reminds me more than anything to be a harvest worker. Because God answers the prayer with me first. And so I'm sharing my story. I'm talking to people, right? I thought about um, this, this brother from Hope. His last name is Ottenweiler. And he used to go on prayer sharing times. And I, and I heard about these prayer sharing times. He'd run with invitations. And he'd stop because he said he'd like to stop because he was tired. And he would give invitations to people while he was running through the neighborhood. And I thought, man, what if I do that? I see this gentleman every time with his dog. Just, just things have been popping in my heart and getting me excited. You know, the street preaching is amazing, right? But this is kind of a different type of street preaching. You know, you're kind of taking it to the streets. You know what I mean? Running through the streets. You know, taking it to the streets. And I, and I think about just new ways that I can share my faith. And I don't know where that's coming from, but I think it's coming from the fact that praying for the harvest. So will you please... If you so, would you, would you set an alarm? Yeah. 9.38 a.m., 9.38 p.m. This is not from God. This is not a, uh, in the Bible. But I just want to ask you to do that if you can, okay? If God moves you to do it. Um, one of the things that's really inspiring is Teresa came up to me and said, Glenn, do you know I've been doing that and God, I've been seeing God too? Then another person said the same thing. And all the people that have been praying, they're... they're God is changing their hearts and God is changing people around them. Amen? Amen. But one of the things that was really inspiring is that that word sent means thrust. That's what Teresa just told me. The word means thrust, meaning compelling them, meaning putting the burden of souls on people's hearts. So much so that they just feel compelled. It's not forced. Amen? Because, you know, for me, sometimes it's like, oh, yeah, I need to share my faith because that's what we do as disciples. That is the worst motivation. Yes. It's in a motivation. And there's been times where God's used me, even though my motivations haven't been great. Amen? But I'd like to most of the time think, the harvest is plentiful. I want to be a harvest worker. And so as we end, I think just thinking about the fact that the scripture here, how can then they call them one they have not believed in? There's so many people that don't believe in Jesus. And if Jesus is the only way to heaven, what does that mean for them? You know, and, and, and just this is how the heart works. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? You know, it's sad to say that America, don't tell me America is a Christian nation anymore. I'm sick of hearing that. There's no way that America is a Christian nation. It was, but it's not now. Don't assume that people know about Christ. Don't assume it. They don't. There's many that do, amen, but not most. I challenge you to just ask someone, hey, have you ever read the book of John? Could you tell me one passage on Jesus? And the blank stares you're going to get. And in many ways, we are in a nation, we are in a city, much like Nineveh, that doesn't know their left from their right spiritually. Jonah didn't want to go back and preach, right? He was like, oh, stupid Ninevites. I don't like them. 
And God says, can I do what I desire with my creation? They don't know their left from their right. How can they believe in the one they've not even heard about? And how can they hear without someone preaching them? Someone sharing their life. What is preaching? What did Paul preach? He preached his life. You know, sometimes we feel like we have to be eloquent and amazing and have all these incredible things down. You don't. Can I just tell you what the Lord has done in my life? Man, people will listen. People will listen. If that can happen in your life, maybe it can happen in my life. I'd like to learn about this Jesus. And how can they preach unless they are sent? That's what the thrust. And so it starts with a prayer. Lord, send out harvest workers into your harvest field. Amen? Let's be those harvest workers. Let's remember the challenge, the diagnosis. People are trying to be good enough to go to heaven. It is a terrible, terrible way of thinking. And it won't lead to anything good. It it won't lead to peace. It won't lead to God. It only leads to frustration and emptiness. Let's remember that Christ is the culmination of the law. Amen.